You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. So we're going to be in Philippians this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. If you raise your hand, one of our ushers will bring those to you. Uh, I'd love for you to dive into God's Word with us this morning. So we're in a series called summer playlist. The summer is just one of those times when life is just a little crazier, right? Uh, Kids are out of school, and so trips are happening. People are going to the beach, and they're going here, and they're going there. They're taking a day trip here and there, and life just becomes kind of this crazy whirlwind during the summer. And so we find ourselves in a car a lot. And uh, some of you are podcasters and talk radio people, but I think for the majority of the room, most of us probably turn on a good playlist and we rock it out, right? Maybe it's a 70s playlist, maybe it's yacht rock, maybe, maybe it's, you know, 90s hip hop, whatever it is, you find those songs that you love, you crank it up, and you drive. Now, what's important about this is the the music that we choose and the songs that we listen to, what do they do? They invade our hearts. And they also invade our minds. And so it's really important, the music that we listen to. Maybe if you find yourself, I was talking to somebody the other day, if you find yourself maybe saying some words you hadn't said, you know, you shouldn't be saying too often, I'm like, hey, check your playlist. And you go, oh, yeah, every single one is explicit content. Maybe that's why I cuss too much. But, you know, hey, it, it is what it is, right? We, the, the songs and the things that we watch and we listen to, they, they kind of mold us. That's, that's why one reason when we come into this place to worship, the music that we sing is important. Hunter and I pray and, and, and think about the songs that we sing every single Sunday so that we can make sure that we're singing songs that are both edifying and theologically sound, but they also then speak to our hearts and move us closer to God. And so this morning, as you heard, we are diving into this song that got famous by the Rascal Flats, but it was written by a different guy who I'll talk about here in just a minute. The song's called Life is a Highway, and really the song yells, get in your car and drive, and it's kind of this symbol for moving forward in life. Through all of the ups and downs, through the good, the bad, whatever, get in your car and drive and enjoy life. But as you sit around and think about that statement of just like, just enjoy life, I feel like that's easier saying sometimes than actually done. Like, it's really easy to enjoy life when life is good, right? I mean, when life is fun and everything's kind of working your way. But what about when life isn't going your way? When you're in that season that's just absolutely difficult. How how do we go through life and just drive like it's a highway in those moments? I mean, I guess we could drive like it's a highway and speed and try to get through it as fast as possible. But I think there's something deeper. I think there's something more tangible that God would, would have us see in this moment and in this, in this idea of, of living life and kind of understanding what life is supposed to be, ab- be about. And we, we looked at that to a degree last week, last week but today I, I want to dive into something else. I, I want to kind of dive into this idea of living our lives, but enjoying our lives no matter what's going on around us. Like, no matter what relationship might be tanking around you right now to enjoy your life. Like, if you've been married for any length of time, you know 
marriage isn't always sunshine and roses, right? Like sometimes it's hard, and sometimes your spouse thinks you're terrible, and you think the same thing about them. And if you don't think that, you've been married for like a day, <laughs> right? And so sometimes marriage is just hard because you've got all these things you're balancing. You're balancing your finances. You're balancing your kids. You're balancing the house. You're balancing all of these things. And you're going, you know, life is not fun right now, right? Like this isn't fun. So how, how, how can I be all that I was made to be in Christ and enjoy life and treat it like a highway if I just don't like it? And what have we seen in our culture time and time again? Generally speaking, a lot of people just say, well, let's, let's get another person, right? Let's just leave this one and move on. Let's, let's just find another thing that might work. And look, the problem is if we don't fix the issues in our heart, the next person and the next person and the next thing is not going to fix that either, right? It's just going to be more baggage that we kind of carry with us into the next relationship. As, you've, as you get older and maybe your kids become adults, you get into this weird relationship and maybe some of the kids make choices that you don't agree with. And so you, as a parent, you start having to, okay, I am a parent, but I'm no longer actively controlling my kids. And so you have to deal with sometimes estranged relationships with children. And in those moments, those might not be fun times in life, right? You're not going, I really like my kids. You might say, I love my kids, but I don't really like my kids. I don't really like the choices my kids are making. Or, or maybe it's at work. Maybe you're struggling at work because it's not producing the way you want it to or it's not getting you the finances you want, or your boss is a jerk. Whatever it is, you find yourself every single day going, I absolutely cannot stand this place. But yet I have to do this because I need the money or because of the situation I'm in. How do we enjoy our life when we're not quote-unquote happy? What do we do? Well, the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, is we need to sure up our foundation. We need to sure up our foundation. Anytime you're building a house, anytime you're doing any sort of work, what is the first thing that you do? You shore up the foundation. As you drove here, some of you this morning, you probably drove down maybe Zebulon or Bass Road and you saw that, that construction that's happening with some of those new buildings. What is the first thing they did after they cleared the trees? They shore up the foundation, right? They make sure everything is level and it's compact and they even do tests to make sure that the, the ground is compact enough to then build a foundation for a building on top of it. And so we need to shore up our foundation. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk, or we're going to look into Paul's letter in Philippians. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's essentially in this letter going to tell us how to have a sure foundation by modeling it for us. So I want to give you some context in case you've never dove in or dived in, whatever the phrase is, because I just spoke that incorrectly. Before we dive into this text, I want to make sure that you understand what's going on here. So Paul has been arrested. He's been arrested at this point for several years. He was actually first arrested in Jerusalem, and he went on trial, and uh, it didn't go his, his way. I think... Uh, Acts 23.11 says, after he's gone on trial, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So here's Paul. 
a missionary. He's gone around the world proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, loving on people, helping people out of difficult situations. He finds himself in jail because of these actions. And at this point, when we're reading in Acts 23, he's already been in jail for like two years. And so he's in there for a while, and the Lord tells him in this passage that, hey, so I know you've already been in jail for a little while, you're going to be in jail even longer because you're a Roman citizen, so we're going we're gonna to do this a different way. Not only are you going to be in jail in Jerusalem, we're then going to transfer you to Rome, and then you're going to go to jail there. So Paul gets to jail in Rome, and he begins to share the gospel with these Romans. He has visitors, and people come, and all the people he's ch- uh, planted churches with have heard of this news. And so he's finding himself in this jail cell for about four and a half, five years. And he has visitors who's checking on him, and he's going, I need to write a letter to a couple of different churches, kind of encouraging them. Think, just, just stop. Encouraging them. Like, this dude's in jail, and he wants to encourage other believers. I don't know if you've ever been to jail, but that's not a place that I'm thinking about anybody else but myself. Because jail sucks, Right? Like, it's not a place you go, man, you know, let me, let me see if I can get some pen pals, right? And just really, oh, I really want to pour into somebody else. This is not that moment. This, this is a moment where you're going, how do I get out of here? And Paul takes this and, and seizes the moment and says, everything within me is going to preach the gospel to those around me, both in word and deed, and I'm going to take this moment to encourage others, so Paul's held into this, this, this Roman jail cell. He writes these letters, and we get to probably the most popular passage in the Bible, thanks to a few, a few football players. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. If you'll stand in honor of reading God's word with me. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length, You have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You may be seated. This passage is so much bigger than a Tebow Neal, right? Like, it, it's huge. But at the same time, it's not that much bigger than a Tebow Neal. L- let, me, let me see if I can explain what I mean. So for, uh, Philippians 4.13, in case you don't sp- follow sports or, I don't know, haven't been in the, you know, watch Good Morning America in the last 25 years. Philippians 4.13 is one of those passages that baseball players put on wristbands and people put on their eyes, and it's just this, I mean, probably high school players across our nation have it on every locker. It's just everywhere. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a really good, feel-good message, right? Like, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, is kind of what we hear when we say that passage. But the power in this verse is found in the context 
of what Paul is saying, not in the specific verse itself. Because let's just be rational. I don't believe that Paul is saying, I can murder all people through Christ who strengthens me. Right? So when we, when we say all things through Christ who strengthens me, we kind of have to like understand what, what does all things mean. But we could be tempted to look at this scripture as a kind of simply daily encouragement, as a, as a, as a thing that just kind of speaks to us in our, our mountains or, or speaks to us when we have giants in front of us, these things that, that are get in our way and there's these encouraging voices that just kind of say, hey, God has given you all the strength you need to beat your giants and overcome every mountain that's in front of you. But the real meaning and the depth of this passage is whatever mountains or giants are in front of you, they're in your way today, what, what has really happened is God has given you the strength and the peace to trust that what, to, to trust that whatever, wow, man, to trust whether you defeat those giants or overcome those mountaintops or not, it's okay. Like this passage isn't about you defeating the giant or you overcoming the mountaintop. It's about no matter the outcome of the situation, all things are okay. Like, do, do you feel that? Like, in this moment, wh- whether you have something big in front of you or not, God is not necessarily saying through Paul in this passage that, hey, if you'll just trust in me, I will defeat every foe that you have in front of you. What he's saying is, if you will trust in me, whether the immediate win comes or not, I will be well with your soul. Like, you will have overcoming peace, and the win or the loss will no longer matter because you will have me. Paul is in jail, and he's reminding this church, he's reminding you and I today, that he's seen highs. Keep in mind who Paul is. If you don't know who he is, Paul was a very wealthy, established leader in the Jewish church before he became a follower of Christ. Like, he, he was a guy that people knew in the city. He was somebody with some power. It even says he, he was a part of some of the first martyrs that ever happened in Christianity. And I know that how, how you connect power with that. Well, that means Paul was in the room when some of these powerful people kind of, you know, rang the jury judge on these Christians to say, hey, they're guilty. To be even in the room, to be even in the same place with the judges and the Sadducees and these Pharisaical leaders meant you were someone important, meant you had established your name. And Paul was in this place, and yet he abandoned it all for Christ. And from that moment, it wasn't like he followed Jesus and everything was a victory for him. Like if you read through his life, He went through some dark times, some very difficult days, not to mention these five years in prison and writing this letter. He says, hey, I've been high, I've been low, but no matter what comes my way, I have a peace from God that surpasses all of it. It's kind of echoing the statements of David in the Psalms, like a peace that passes all understanding. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, 
I'm glad in God. This is the same text. So Eugene Peterson wrote the message. It's, it's not really, it's kind of an interpretation of Scripture. It's not really Scripture in and of itself. Uh, and so that's, I wanted to make sure that's clarified. But Philippians 4, 4 10 through 14 says, I'm glad in God. Far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you have ever quit praying and thinking about me. You had just no chance to show it because I've been in jail. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with as little as with much. With much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help didn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my trouble. No matter our circumstances, Paul is saying that we can choose to be okay by focusing on the blessings that we have in God. No matter your circumstances, you can choose to be okay by focusing on the blessings that you have in God. And and I know this sounds churchy, and it sounds really preachy, but until you've leaned on the cornerstone, on on the firm foundation of the Lord, you'll never know the true peace He provides. I mean, until you've walked that route, and said, I, I, I'm in low, I'm in nothing, but I'm going to rest on Jesus. It's really easy to sit in the seat, yeah, oh, pastor, I hear you, I get that. My challenge to you would be to lean on him. Like, don't lean on your own strength and your own understanding. I know that that feels the safest. That feels like, okay, if I can just get this, I can get that, and I can actually get them to handle this, then all things will work out. And what I'm here to tell you is the world is bigger than you. Like, problems are larger than you. But there is no problem larger than God. And the creation is certainly not larger than the Creator. So trust in Him. Matthew 7, verse 24 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, it fell, and great was the fall. What are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? Are you building it on the rock, on God, the firm foundation? Or are you building it on your own understanding, your own strength? Your own will to push through. Because some, some of you are really strong, right? Some of us are really strong-headed. And, and we think we can kind of push through these situations. We're strong-willed. We're, we're hard-headed. We're, we're people who go, ah, I got this. 
And what Jesus is saying, release it. Follow me. What are you building your house on? What mountain or giant can God defeat or God comfort through you? Or are you constantly asking, hey, can, can you just only defeat these things and then we'll be good? Or you say, hey, God, give me the comfort, give me, give me the peace in these moments. The original author of this song that we were saying this morning, Life is a Highway, is a guy named Tom Cochran. You probably have never heard of him. It's not that popular. But one of the things he said about this song was, he said the song became a pep, pep talk to himself. Kind of saying, you, you can't really control all of the stuff. You just do the best that you can. He says he was trying to make sense of, of the world. He, he traveled around and he saw poverty and he witnessed all sorts of shocking and traumatic things. And this song was a way for him to just kind of say, hey, only control what you can control and keep moving down the line. You know what you can control this morning? Where you put your faith. You can't control all the outcomes. You can't control the people at work. You can't even control your spouse. You can't control your kids. You can't really control much. But you can control how you respond. You can control by having faith in the God who created all things. And the scripture says, is holding all things together. I mean, isn't that a unique thought? I think for the most part in the, in the room, we can gather and affirm yeah, that God created all things. But I think sometimes we have a harder time affirming that God is holding all things together. Like He's active in your life, especially when He doesn't feel very active, right? Especially when those bad things come our way, when those spiritual valleys come, when, when, when the things, the physical things come in our life and health issues and all these other things come, it's really hard to maintain and hold the faith that God is working and He's holding all things together. But isn't that the secret? Isn't that the thing to lean into? That it's not just, I don't just believe in a God who created everything and walked away. I believe in a God who sent His Son to walk through the same emotional toil, the same physical toil. Jesus went through puberty. Right? I don't know if you've thought about that. Like, he did. He went through the hormonal weird times of being like a 13-year-old boy. And he did that to connect with you. Because he's not just some distant God. He is a God who created all things and then came to connect with you. He came to be with you. He came to show you the way, the truth, and the life. You can control where you put your faith. So will you trust in Jesus and shore up your foundation? Will you trust in Jesus and shore up your foundation this morning? Let me pray. God, thank you for this message through Paul, through these letters that you spoke to the church in Philippi and to the churches since. God, I just pray that in these moments when we're experiencing difficulty in our lives, that we can look back to the foundation. We can shore it up 
by putting our faith in you and not in our works. Not in our ability to be good people, but in your ability to break all chains and be the perfect person. You died on behalf of us. And you've called us back into reunion and and back into this unity with you. And so God, I, I just pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning that is struggling to believe that you're holding all things together, that you're active and you're involved in their life, that God, you'll show up in a mighty way. You reveal yourself to them by the power of your spirit. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to build our house on the rock. Be our cornerstone. Be our firm foundation. Help us become less so that you can become more. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus I say these things. Amen.